This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is Rondé Barber. You're listening to Ira, I think that's his name, and Clark on the iTest for Two. Welcome to this week's edition of the Eye Test for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are, as I hope you know, Hall of Fame voters, joined each and every week by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. Now, Ira and Ian both live in the Tampa area. Ira lives in Tampa itself and Ian in St. Petersburg. So I think you knew that. Ira covers the Bucks, has covered them for how long, Ira? 1985, my friend. 1985. Okay, a long time. <laughs> and, and Ian is a Tom Brady fanatic for how long, Ian? Uh, a shorter time than that, but uh, for a very long time. Uh, okay, you probably knew that too. But what you might not know is that the Tampa Bay Bucks and Tom Brady opened this week as two-point underdogs to the Los Angeles Rams. And then Ira and Ian both just notified me that, uh-oh, that's changed. Suddenly, they're favored. Yes, the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks are favored to win this weekend. And that would be, I think, Ira, uh, their 11th straight. You want to explain to me what's going on? Because that money changed hands very quickly. I assume it was because uh, a lot of money came down on the Tampa Bay Bucks, And the odds makers had to make an adjustment now. I'm going to give Kevin's uh, our guest some news today because uh, Antonio Brown is now on the COVID list. So um, that could change the odds back and flip it back into the Rams' favor. Well, since you mentioned that, we will get straight to today's guest, and that's Kevin Demoff, who is the COO of the LA Rams and the club's top front office executive. And from what I understand, lays on to owner and chairman Stan Kroenke on all operational matters. So he knows what's going on, and he certainly knows about numbers because Kevin went to Dartmouth College, and that's my alma mater as well, and he graduated from Dartmouth Tuck School, which is the business school there, so he knows all about numbers. And Ira, he knows all about the Bucks too, because you and he go back to when? When was he there? He was there from 05 to 08, and full disclosure, I, I tried to appropriate Mr. Demoff as my deep throat uh, at one buck place. And uh, the first time I tried it, he said, uh, get away from me, Kaufman. Uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, with that introduction, we will now get to Kevin Demoff. And, and Kevin, given that, why are you talking to Ira now? Oh, I, I actually did it for you, Clark, just for the Darby connection, you know. But, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, you can earn Ira's respect by turning him down a few times and then, you know, maybe going, maybe leaving, you know, 
is what what did the trick for him actually to like me now. <laughs> Kevin, you spent four years basically at, at one buck um, uh, working under Bruce Allen. Kevin, you've had other jobs, uh, you know, with different leagues. Um, Kevin, what, what was your biggest takeaway from those four years uh, at one buck place? I, I loved working uh, at one buck place and for the Buccaneers. Uh, it was my first NFL job. I'd worked in the Arena League for four years prior. Uh, just what an amazing organization the Glazers run. When I was there, we moved into the new one buck place, uh, you know, which is still one of the best facilities in the NFL. Um, every resource you could have, you needed to compete. Uh, and, you know, you just felt a, a connectivity, obviously fortunate enough to work for, for John Gruden, for Bruce Allen. And, you know, when you look at our, the Los Angeles Rams, they have the 2021 version. There are a lot of people who got their start at one buck place. You can look at Sean McVay, uh, clearly from 2008, defense coordinator Raheem Morris, Jiro Evero, uh, who's our secondary coach, uh, myself, in, I'm probably missing people, Reggie Scott, who's our amazing trainer, was with the Buccaneers at an early point uh, during the Super Bowl run. So there's a lot of Tampa Bay ties uh, in our organization. But I, I just remember uh, one buck was a great place to work, great place to, to grow, to learn. Uh, and really fortunate to have spent that time in the organization and still have a lot of good friends within the building. Things have changed, um, remain close to, to the Glazers and ownership and, and always root for them most of the time, probably not this weekend. <laughs> Kevin, uh, you, uh, you, you had thoughts of being a sports writer, and, and I'm glad you didn't go down that road, my friend, but you studied art history, Mr. Demoff, in, in Dartmouth. So my question to you is, SoFi Stadium. Um, how is it? How is it kind of uh, take on the dimensions of a work of art, uh, Mr. Demoff, for those who have never been there? Yeah, you know, SoFi Stadium was designed completely differently. And I think the one thing I give great credit to HKSR Architects who built it. They build amazing stadiums for the cities that those teams are in. We were just at Lucas Oil Stadium last week in Indianapolis, an amazing building for Indianapolis. They built U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota, which I think is a terrific building for the Vikings. Clearly, AT&T Stadium set the standard at the time uh, back when it opened a decade ago. I think when we looked at SoFi Stadium was how do you make, you know, Stan Kroenke's challenge to HKS and all of us was if you're going to the entertainment capital of the world, you can't undershoot Los Angeles. And let's design a building that takes its place rightfully alongside any architecture pieces in Los Angeles. So if you look at the Getty Center, you look at Disney Hall downtown, you take some inspiration from places like Bilbao in Spain. You know, SoFi Stadium was meant to look like an architectural piece, not just a football stadium. Now it has what we believe is the world's best stadium contained within it, but uh, it's an amazing low slung 150 foot building. It's dug hundred feet into the earth. So when you drive up upon it, you don't see it for miles away. It really comes up upon you. Uh, transcendent design. It's the world's first indoor outdoor stadium. So while it has a 22 acre transparent roof, there are no walls on the stadium. It's completely open air uh, for the California weather, the first of its kind. So you know, I always tell people, they ask me what my favorite feature of the stadium is. It's when you feel, when you stand in it, when you sit in it, you feel like you're in Southern California, which I think is a great, you know, testament to the building. And, you know, I, I was, you know, close to an art history minor. I think I was short in Egyptian uh, art class, um, which I don't regret not taking. But I took a lot of, you know, architecture classes at Dartmouth. And it's great to see, you know, a building, you know, like ours get mentioned, you know, as a work of art, you know, as something that people look to in the LA skyline. That must mean you've spent some time in Carpenter Hall, Kevin. 
Uh, as a history major and a near art history minor, I'd spend a lot of time. So just to digress for one second, as a history major, was it American history? Yeah. So I actually, I was uh, mainly, I was a history major. My focus was on uh, colonial American printing and publishing. So oh, Ira, okay. you want to talk, you know, in the 1770s, the sports writers were really hard on the Patriots <laughs> and the Red Sox. Um, you know, so, you know, you, and, uh, and I was born, actually, I was sports editor at the Dartmouth, did broadcasting. So I was well into that genre. My, my senior thesis was on reading and writing uh, habits of Quaker women in colonial Philadelphia. So if you want to know why the Rams really struggled for years, why the Bucks struggled for years, you put an executive in charge, you know, who's thinking about Quaker Philadelphia gets you to where we are. <laughs> well, we're speaking with Kevin Demoff of the Rams, L.A. Rams, and a former sportscaster for Dartmouth College and art major and history major. And Kevin, it's funny because I was a history major as well. Ken Shoemaker was my advisor and I was an art minor there, but it was uh, more uh, graphic arts and, and, and I loved it there. But I'm not here to talk to you about Dartmouth, here to talk to you about the L.A. Rams. And I do have a question for you since Ira mentioned SoFi Stadium. That's going to be the home of this year's Super Bowl, Super Bowl 56. And a lot of people out there, as you know, are billing this weekend's game between the Bucks and the Rams as a conference championship preview. How's it being billed out there? And how do you look at this weekend's game as a measurement or barometer of your football team? I would say the conference championship preview sounds like when people say, well, if the playoffs started today, and I'm like, well, right. what happened to the other 15 weeks you know, of, of the season? Uh, look, I, I think for us, clearly, anytime you play the Super Bowl champs, it's a measuring stick for for your organization. Any way you, you look at that. Um, we had a great game against them last November on Monday night, which came down to the very end. Uh, I, I thought it was one of the best games we played all year um, and found a way to win. But this team, and I, I think Sean McVay said it, you know, in his press conference, this Bucks team is far different than that one we faced last November. You know, since then, they've had, hit, you know, this meteoric rise. They're scoring. They're playing well. They had to run through the playoffs. And, you know, I, I know, you know, certainly we would have hoped to have won in Green Bay uh, last January to have a chance to face the Buccaneers again. I think that would have been great. But, you know, I don't view this as a conference championship preview. You know, we've got to go. You know, our division is tough. You know, we have three undefeated teams, you know, here in the NFC West. You know, if it winds up being a conference championship preview, Gary. But, you know, especially now when you start to think about 15 more weeks, the 17-game season, there's still so much to play. It's essentially – you know, even though we're two and zero, and the Bucks, you know, both teams really like being one and zero in previous years. When you look at the extra game, and so you know, I, I think they're a really good team. You know, well coached. We played Bruce Arians a ton uh, in my time, you know, here in our division when he was with the Cardinals, and always gave us fits. Um, so I, it'll be you know a really good test um, for us. I think it'll be a good test for them. And and look, I hope both teams play well. Someone will come out likely as a winner and a loser. And, you know, if we wind up seeing each other again at any point down the road, that's probably great for both teams. I'm sure both teams would gladly sign up for this to be a conference championship preview, which means we both got there. Um, I'd be just happy right now if it was a wild card. Preview. Well, you know, as a history major, if the Bucks had not won the Super Bowl last year, that you'd be discounted immediately as a Super Bowl favorite, right? Or as a Super Bowl contender, because what happens with the teams that are in the host city and they play in that stadium, they don't win, right? That's what history tells us, except the Bucks proved that wrong last year. Now anything's possible. And, and I've been told, rightly or wrongly, that um, the LA Rams are in a Super Bowl or bus mentality. Simply said that 
anything less than that is is not going to count. Anything less than that is going to be a failure. Is that fair? Is that honest or is that true? I, I think people have said we're in a Super Bowl or bust mentality park since 2018. Every year I hear that, you know, we've traded picks away, Super Bowl or bust, you know, our window is closing. Uh, and it's a great credit to, to Sean McVay, his coaching staff, Les Need, and the personnel group that, you know, so far are so good. Um, you know, we've been able to remain competitive, you know, each of the last five years. Since Sean has been here, we have the third most wins in the NFL uh, behind the Chiefs and the Saints. Um, and I think, you know, for us, we, we've been toe-to-toe with those teams, you know, beat the Chiefs in an epic Monday nighter, beat the Saints for the right to go to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, in 2018. You know, I, I think our viewpoint is we need to push – you know, the chips to be competitive every year. And I think you can look at Tampa, you know, similarly as well, you know, when you, when you have good teams and good players, you have to find a way to maximize, you know, that window. And I, I think there's, there's this misconception in the NFL that, you know, windows stay open a long time. And clearly, you know, I think if you, you look at Ian's background, what the Patriots did, I think have warped people's perspectives of what windows look like. You know, the Saints and Sean Payton went to one Super Bowl and they're, you know, with Drew Brees and you look at Aaron Rodgers has been to one Super Bowl and, you know, Ben Roethlisberger hasn't been in a decade, you know, Super Bowl windows are hard. Um, and if you're not the Buccaneers, you're not all these teams that are trying to maximize them every year. Uh, then I don't think you're doing your organization and your fans a service. Now that there's a difference between, uh, being aggressive and reckless. Uh, I would like to put our team in the aggressive category, not the reckless category, um, trading first round picks, but when you look at Jalen Ramsey, you look at a Matthew Stafford and the effect they have uh, on our team, uh, I think we would say they've been well worth it. But it takes a, you know, the rest of them. We're still the youngest team in the NFL. You know, you still have to have a draft and develop mentality um, to go along with the high priced talent. And, and I think there's this balance now of how do you build the best possible team in 2021? You know, look with an eye on 2022 and 2023, but this, you know, this idea that you need to build it for the next five years so you're competitive. I, I think there are lots of ways, you know, to reconfigure your team every year to be competitive. And if you're not doing that, then you're probably not doing your job correctly. And that's not to say, look, if you're in a rebuild phase, that's one thing. Um, but if you have an Aaron Donald, a Jalen Ramsey, a Matthew Stafford, a Cooper Cup, a Robert Woods, you're not you're an Andrew Wood, you're not in a rebuild phase. You're in a phase where you should be competitive every year. And, and so far, so good with that. Kevin, you, you worked with a young, really young Sean McVay in Tampa. Kevin, what do you remember about him? Obviously, John Gruden uh, was very fond of him and thought a lot of him. And what do you remember about his Tampa days, Kevin? And what makes McVay a special head coach? Uh, I remember virtually, I would say, if I'm being honest, I remember virtually nothing about Sean's Tampa days, right? I mean, he was there with John for, for the 2008 season, which – was one of the craziest seasons I've ever been a part of in, you know, in the NFL, you know, to start nine and three and become the first team in history to miss the playoffs when you start nine and three. Uh, you know, I just remember Sean being extremely bright, willing to do anything, you know, someone who was always around the facility, you know, certainly football lineage runs through that family. Uh, and then, you know, as quickly as it came together, I mean, Sean shows up in June, uh, you know, and everybody's gone in January. So it wasn't a long period of time. Uh, but what jumps out to me, you know, with Sean is he's the best communicator I've ever been around from a head coaching perspective and really in life perspective, uh, whatever Sean wanted to do in life, he'd be successful because he has a natural gift of connecting with people, uh, sharing his viewpoints and getting you to 
believe in not only what he's teaching you, but to believe in yourself. Uh, he's an amazing teacher at that. It, you know, I was really fortunate to get this job at the Rams at a young age and I couldn't have difficult conversations, you know, still have a hard time having difficult conversations. Sean tackles problems right away. Uh, he's upfront. You know, he knows how to push people's buttons in a positive, uplifting way. And look, the results show, I think he, you know, 45 and 21, uh, as head coach of the Rams, which is, I believe is the fifth best winning percentage. The other four coaches are in the Hall of Fame um, with anybody above 50 games. So he's a, a special talent. Um, you know, he has great football lineage, but from his dad who ran television stations, he has an unbelievable charisma, leadership, salesman perspective. And uh, we're just fortunate here at the Rams to benefit from both. Kevin, speaking of lineage, uh, your father, obviously a, a legendary agent, but Kevin, you, you, your mom, also very, very distinguished uh, in her chosen field, which is education. Uh, Kevin, most important life lessons you learned from dad and mom separately? Uh, from dad, you know, I would say from someone who grew up, it was, you know, that, and I used to really, you don't need to win every deal. Now, he, he usually did. Um, but I think as you go through life, you go through negotiations, trying to find, you know, win-win, which is a cliche, um, but at least understanding both sides, perspective, patience. Um, those were the things that, that I learned from him. And as you come and sit on this side, it's always trying to figure out not just what's best for the Rams, but what's best for both parties long-term. Uh, having, you know, to being able to take a step back in the middle, uh, you know, using that, combining it, I would say, with Bruce Allen's perspective of how to have some fun uh, doing it. Uh, Stan Kroenke's perspective of how you grow, you know, a business and an organization internationally and see the big picture. Certainly all three of those rubbed off, you know, uh, you know, my mom, uh, who is a terrific college counselor and has done it for years, uh, always was finding the best fit for you. Um, if you look from a college perspective and then really, um, hard work, I got grounded a number of times for, for maybe not living up to my potential, you know, as a kid, uh, now as a parent of a ninth and seventh grader, you know, some of those lessons, you know, wear off well, but there's a work ethic mentality um, that I have from both of them. They're both in their seventies. They're both still working as hard as ever. Um, and, and I think there's a work ethic and a, a fit and perspective from both of them that, that you cherish. I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, my first connection with anyone in the NFL was Marvin Demoff. Marvin Demoff in 1983 was representing John Elway and I was covering the Baltimore Colts for the Baltimore Sun. And certainly he was front and center in one of the most memorable negotiations and, and deals of, in NFL history. And, and there's been a lot written and said about it, but I got immense respect for Marvin then, have it today. I've got certainly known many, many people who were represented uh, by Marvin and, and Kevin. It's great to know that your dad is still active, had not met your mom, but have immense respect for your father. Again, we're speaking with Kevin Demoff of the LA Rams. And Kevin, since you mentioned uh, Sean McVay, I heard last weekend something about a special partnership between uh, Sean and the quarterback, Matthew Stafford, and how they work so well together. I'm not trying to, I, and I'm, I, I won't, I want to be careful and how I mentioned references, but I don't want to disparage Jared Goff. Jared Goff helped get you guys to the Super Bowl. But you made the trade to get Matthew Stafford and Jerry Goff is now in Detroit. What does Matthew Stafford give the Rams that maybe Jared Goff did not? 
Yeah, look, I think and this isn't a disparagement, right? There's an experience factor, right? You have someone who's done it now 12, 13 years, um, has seen everything there is to see in the NFL. Um, you know, and that was different when, when Jared got here, it was a year. I think he's in year six now, you know, maybe year seven. There's just an immense experience difference. And I think, you know, we all see that. I see, you know, Sean McVay is a better head coach today than he was five years ago when we hired him. But he was pretty dang good back then, too. Um, I think we all see that. And I think there's a, you know, Sean will always talk about the quarterback being an extension of the coaching staff. Um, that what you can do is a, you, know, you can put your players in the best possible positions, but the players have to go out there and, you know, be that extension of the coaching staff and see what the coaching staff can't see. Uh, I remember, you know, even if you watch the Eli and Payton broadcast um, on Monday night, they talked about, you know, the quarterback sees it differently and from a better perspective than anybody else on the bench in the press box. And I think that's what you have in Matthew Stafford, right? Someone who sees the game, who can share that to Sean, they can put, you know, that, you know, what Matthew has seen and he can say it very clearly, you know, to Sean, Sean can understand it. They can translate it and they can make adjustments. They, they see it in the same way. They look at football the same way. And I think they have, uh, you know, this partnership that's based off of Matthew's experience. And I think it's not disparaging Jerry. I don't know whether Sean and Matthew would have had this same relationship in 2014, you know, when, when Matthew was at that stage of his career with a line, um, no different than I think if you look at, you know, and Ira can chime in this, Bruce Arians has had immense success with Carson Palmer, or Tom Brady, you know, when you get a quarterback who's played forever and you can change your offense to that and, you know, it helps. Um, that's not to say, obviously, Bruce Arians had tremendous success with the young Ben Roethlisberger, with Andrew Luck. But, you know, great coaches, great players, they find a way. But there's something to be said about that experience, that position, and what it means not only your coaching staff, but the kind of the calm, cool demeanor that gives your team. And I think the best example we saw with that, you know, we had kind of a, a special teams blooper happen against the Colts uh, on Sunday. We're ahead in the game. We've been leading the whole game. We actually hadn't trailed all year uh, leading up to that point in the third quarter. We give up a special teams touchdown on, on a weird punt snap and we come back four plays, 70 yards, yeah. you know, Matthew Stafford takes the team right down, score, take the lead again, never lose it. And I think that's just, is that, that confidence, that, that poise, that experience that, that resonates throughout our whole team uh, and, and certainly comes from Matthew, but it, I think it comes from Sean as well. Yeah. And that's why I think, and always thought that this trade is one of the, uh, most crucial and critical uh, of, of this past year, simply because when Stafford was in Detroit, I always felt he was better than people knew just because people weren't paying attention to the Lions, but he was doing everything he could to, to get them somewhere. And they, they just simply couldn't get there. And that happens when you give up 30 or more points in whatever it is now, eight, nine straight games. But um, to get him out there, I thought it was as liberating for him as it was almost for the rest of the team. Now you get an experienced quarterback, but now he's get, gotten a chance to really show what he is made of to the country at large. And I, and I do think now that you've got this game in front of you, this is a great test for him, your team, um, and, and other, you know, other players within that team, simply because you're going the best against the best of the best, and that's Brady and the Bucs. And this is defending Super Bowl champions. Not going to read too much, but it is a good gut check just at this point of the season. Where are we? What do we need to improve on? Well, look, I, I thought – I can't remember, you know, whether it might have been Seth Wickersham's actually excellent profile, Matthew, um, back in August in ESPN, the magazine. But whether it was there or one of the other profiles of Matthew, he said, you know, I want to be 
you know, I want the ball in my hands in the fourth quarter of a meaningful game. Yeah. Right. And so I think better, this is a meaningful game. Certainly when you're two and O and the defending Super Bowl champions are coming, you know, Fox game going probably to 95% of America. This is, this is meaningful. It may not be December. Um, and hopefully those games will come for us as well. But I think these are the moments he's relished, right. uh, you know, as, you know, in coming here and getting these opportunities. And I think that's a great platform. And I think similar to what you see, you know, a little bit with Tom Brady down in Tampa and Ira, like these players who leave teams after a long time have a chip on their shoulder. Um, these aren't the guys who are leaving, you know, with a year or two left to finish out somewhere else. These are guys who left with some time left on their careers and who are elite competitors who want to prove a point. Um, and it'll be great to watch uh, the two of them on the field together. And, you know, whether this is the only time we play or whether we see them again, hopefully we give him a team as a team, the chance to have the ball in his hands to make a difference in the fourth quarter. And that's going to take defense specialty. It's going to take everything. Yeah. And, you know, similar, I think for, for Tom, right. In, in that regard. And, you know, we played really well defensively against the Buccaneers last year and I think made it hard for them. They've made changes there. You know, we found, you know, we were able to throw the ball a little bit down there. We couldn't run it, you know, at all, but it was a great game. And, you know, this game lives up to the game last year. Uh, both these quarterbacks will have a chance to make plays, you know, for their team and determine the outcome. Kevin, last one for me. Thanks so much for your time, buddy. Uh Kev, talk a little bit about sharing um, a facility with the Chargers, who, by the way, are a pretty good team, Kevin, they, you know, with that young quarterback, Herbert. Um, and, Kevin, um, what fans uh, can expect from Los Angeles for Super Bowl 56? Yeah, you know, look, sharing the facility, it's something that, you know, Clark, I know you know that organization pretty well. You know, it's yeah. something that was always from the moment, you know, we were fortunate enough to, to get approval to come back to Los Angeles. We knew it was a possibility. The stadium was designed, you know, as a two-team stadium. So, you know, I, I think one of the things I when you talk about it being a work of art, you know, there's not – you don't walk around and see photos of great moments in Rams history charges. It's a fairly, you know, neutral building in the sense that, you know, it's there. I think the one thing that, that I like about our building, which maybe makes it different than a MetLife or something where it's two teams, and, you know, this is a one-team design. We funded the building – you know, Stan, Stan and our architecture team designed it. Uh, it's a two-team building that was designed by one team. He spared no expense in building it out. And so you don't see some of the compromise that comes, what I would say, in multi-team buildings or arenas where, where bunches of teams play and it's kind of neutral. This building has an amazing feel, you know, that both teams take advantage. Now both teams have played a game at home and you know had a chance to be in front of their fans, do the game day experience. And I would, you know, what was so impactful for us week one you know, we, we get off to, you know, cold start. We give up a long kickoff return, a long run, which also happened in week two. Um, and, you know, third and one at the goal line, our crowd comes to life, forces a false start on the Bears, come to life again, force a timeout, and then they throw an interception on third and six, uh, you know, in the end zone. We, this is an amazing home field advantage for the Rams. Uh, our building is loud. Uh, it provides us a great home field advantage, and our players love it. it it's it brings the bet. It is what you would expect, you know, a modern NFL stadium in Los Angeles to be. And I think for Super Bowl 56, uh, it's hard to think the Super Bowl hasn't been in Los Angeles since 1992. Um, and, you know, all the places it's been since then, it's going to be a marvel, a spectacle. You know, what I think is the world's best stadium with the world's biggest game in the entertainment capital 
you know, of the world. Yes, we don't have a chance to be the first team to ever, you know, host in our own building, you know, or, you know, and, and I, I laugh and you talk about the ties between the organizations. Uh, I was thought one of the coolest things ever. And uh, when we won the Super Bowl bid in 2016, it was really between us and Tampa for, you know, Super Bowl 55 and the Glazers voted for us. Um, and I always thought that was a great show of respect for, for how they viewed it. Um, when we couldn't complete the building on time because of the rain in 2017, you know, I was so excited for them to get this, the game, you know, as well and to step in and do a magnificent job. And sure enough, it winds up getting to host, you know, become the first team ever to host uh, and win in your own stadium. I will say I might've been rooting against them in the Super Bowl just so they could have been the first team to host and we could have been the first to host and win. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that was a little bit selfish, but it was great to see. But I think you're going to see, you know, especially after kind of the oddity of the Super Bowl last year, an amazing fan environment, uh, an amazing return of football. You've seen it with the crowds, the ratings. You've seen in college football this year how excited people are for football to be back. I think Super Bowl 56 will be one for the ages, uh, regardless of the teams, you know, playing there. And, you know, it's great to see football back on the map in Los Angeles. NFL Media, NFL Network just opened up their beautiful new building next to SoFi Stadium where they shoot from. And I just think, uh, you know, that week in February is going to be really special for our community as we recover from the pandemic uh, to help those in need to bring jobs. It'll be the largest tourism event in Southern California since the 1984 Olympics. Um, so really proud just to be a part in, in helping bring that back uh, to Los Angeles. And hopefully we can do our part maybe to run out of that home tunnel as well. Kevin, last one for me. Where's the greatest or greater anticipation in Southern California, this weekend's Rams Bucks game, or the October fourteenth Rolling Stones concert at SoFi Stadium. Uh, you know this weekend Rams Bucks game uh, will be an event here, and I, you can always tell by the requests you get for tickets. And you know we're, we're sold out, but you know you always find those last few suites or, or hidden spots uh, for fans. A ton of anticipation here. That being said, the Rolling Stones. Uh, they have a concert Sunday, October 17th. They added a second show uh, right. Thursday, October 14th. So I think we're about on par. Um, so, you know, hopefully we both get satisfaction out of our, our events. I know you're going to be at one. Are you going to be at both? I, I will. Uh, I will not be at both. We, we play the Giants um, October 17th. And I got my Dartmouth board meeting, you know, October 15th. So maybe I'll go to the Rolling Stones and take a red eye. It's one of the nice things about uh, – SoFi Stadium being so close to LAX, you, you can get them them both done. Sounds like a good deal. Kevin Demo, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. So much fun. And uh, Ira, hope to see you out here this weekend. Thanks, Kev. Thanks for giving us shelter, baby. Thanks for giving us shelter. <laughs> <laughs> that was Kevin Demoff, CEO of the LA Rams and former Dartmouth College student. And Ira, it was great spending time with him. Uh, I think this is a big weekend for them. I think this is a measuring stick for the Rams, really, because you're going against the defending Super Bowl champions and the quarterback that nobody can beat. That was an excellent game. He's right last year, and the Rams won it in Tampa. Um, the year before, they played some unbelievable shootout. I think it was 51-45 or something, Clark, in, in L.A. Um, Clark, I'll say this. You, you spend a couple of minutes with Kevin Demoff. I think you'd agree. Um, this is a super sharp guy. I mean, he, he got these jobs at an early age. He, he, he learned a lot of lessons along the way, and he's at the top of his game right now, Clark. The Rams are lucky to have him. Yeah, no question about it. Um, and, and I enjoy talking to him just about, um, you know, the history of, of, of that team and, and where 
they are now with Matt Stafford because I do think it's a good, really good team. And I do think they're a Super Bowl threat, legit Super Bowl threat. In fact, I think if there's one team out there right now that can be the Bucs, it's, it's that ball club. Anyway, all right, final thoughts. Final thoughts are clock. I can't believe you haven't already looked ahead to uh, Brady going back to New England, but that, that will dominate uh, next week uh, when we meet again. And we'll, I think we'll have another couple of special guests, uh, Clark. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. I think Ian's already looking ahead to that game, right, Ian? Perhaps. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking about it. It's, you know, it's one game at a time right now. He went out and got himself a Tom Brady Michigan jersey. So what does that tell you? It's all things Brady. That's all he's thinking about. <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it for this week. We'd like to thank Emma Dovoff for joining us, Ian Glendon for producing us, and you for listening to us. And remember to join us next week here at where, Ian? The eye test for two. You got it. We'll see you then. You Thanks for listening.